The scripture this morning comes from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 40 through 42. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. It's the end of a very long discourse. He's been giving them some news that's probably not the best of news. And he ends by telling the disciples, He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's award. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Before I start on the sermon this morning, I want to take just a minute to say thank you to several wonderful folks. Last week, we said goodbye to two pastors who have given amazing leadership through the years, and I am grateful to both of them. We said goodbye to Reverend Jeff Cook, and we, we wish him well this morning as he starts in his new appointment at Trinity down in Warner Robins. Jeff has grown amazingly thanks to his interaction and work with you, and I know that you have grown as a congregation thanks to his work and his presence here. And I want to say thank you to Reverend Creed Henshaw. Now, I wasn't a part of the telephone call with the DS back when Creed was asked to be the interim pastor, but I'm sure it went something like this. Creed, you know that church like the back of your hand. It will be a walk in the park. It will be a piece of cake. No worries. And Creed said, sure. And then the very next week, everything ceased. Everything stopped. The world shut down. And we were suddenly having to do church in a way that we had no clue what needed to happen and how church needed to be. And Creed very graciously, very calmly, guided Mulberry Street through that time. And I am incredibly grateful for his leadership during that period of time. I want to say thank you, too, to the long-standing staff who are still here, the pastoral staff, the administrative staff. These are the people who have the unenviable task of keeping me between the lines of the road as we go forward. They have already been so welcoming and so helpful and so receptive, and I say thank you to all of them. I am so honored to be here as the senior pastor at Mulberry Street. This is a magnificent church with a long and magnificent history of serving Christ in downtown Macon, and I am grateful for the opportunity to come alongside and join you as you continue those years of service. Mulberry Street has a very special place in my heart, too, because I was ordained an elder at this altar right on that side kneeling down with Bishop Michael B. Watson, placing his hands on my head and telling me I was an elder. So Mulberry is just very special to me, and again, it is an incredible honor to be here. Now, those of you who know the Methodist system know that we move periodically. Every so often, there's like this big changeover of pastors, and if you've 
paid attention through the last number of years, you might have noticed that our normal move day is earlier in the month compared to what it was this month. Normally, our first Sunday is the third Sunday in June. So when I knew I was coming to Mulberry, I began to read through scriptures, look at the lectionary scriptures to see what the scripture was for the third Sunday in June. And when I read that scripture, I said, Lord, you really have to be kidding. How can I turn that into a new preacher sermon? Honestly, it's the earlier part of chapter 10 in the Gospel of Matthew, and as I said earlier, Jesus is not giving the disciples good news, and I said, Lord, you're really going to have to help me understand what message you would have me bring to Mulberry Street out of this passage of Scripture. And then miracle of miracles, the bishop moved, moved day. And the first Sunday is now the 28th of June, and I read the Scripture. You just heard it read. I thought, I can really work with this. This is a great scripture for a new preacher. Come on now. Hello, I'm your new preacher. Let me help you see what scripture has to say about welcoming new people. What a marvelous thing. And so I began my normal process of preparing a sermon, which involves a lot of study and a lot of prayer. And one of the things that I ask God during my prayer time over any sermon I preach is, Lord, this is the passage of scripture you have given me for these people. What do you want me to say? What message do you have that you want me to bring to the people of Mulberry Street out of this passage of Scripture? Because if it's not God's message, y'all don't want me to bother preaching it. Y'all don't want to hear it. So I asked that in my prayer time. I said, Lord, what do you want me to say? And his answer was a little bit unexpected. Because what he said was, you know better than that. And I said, okay, Lord, do you ever have a feeling that God sits in heaven and looks down at you and just, just shakes his head and says, what are you thinking? Unfortunately, that happens to me occasionally. And this was one of those times, and, and God said, you know better than that. You know that you can't take that passage of Scripture out of context. You can't preach a happy sermon and ignore the rest of the story. You have to put it in context. So I was right back where I started trying to decide what message God would have me to bring that comes from the whole story of the 10th chapter of Matthew, including the piece where Jesus is telling the disciples that people are going to hate them for the fact that they tell the story of Jesus, and that people are going to throw them out of their homes, and that rulers and governors are going to be angry with them. They're going to be arrested. They may even lose their lives. And then toward the end of the passage, Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And I'm asking God, what kind of message do I bring out of this? In studying this message, what I came to understand is that Jesus was telling the disciples that when people encounter Jesus, they have to make a choice. They have to make a choice. Do we keep doing what we've been doing? and hope it's good enough, hope it's right enough, hope it's okay? Or do we move closer to Jesus to see what he might do in us? Now, y'all know what it's like to make choices. I'm sure you do. You get up in the morning, do I have coffee or not? Wait a minute, that's not a choice. Get up in the morning, have coffee. 
Okay, you go to a deli in downtown Macon, you're going to order a sandwich for lunch. Well, of course, everybody knows that the best choice is a Reuben. So there's really not a lot of choice there. But we understand choices. But I want to help you understand the choice that Jesus was talking about, the people of Israel, the people who were hearing about him, the choice that they would have to make. When I was 17, God called me to preach. Never thought about that before. That was a whole new revelation there. So I did what all good Methodists do. I went to talk to my preacher. My preacher gave me a long explanation of why girls shouldn't be preachers and told me to go back and think again. So I went back and told God what the preacher said because everybody knows preachers are always right, right? Through the next 17 years, God continued to call me to preach. And there were multiple times that he put in front of me a person or persons or a situation and said, this is where you need to be. And there were multiple times when I made a choice to tell God no. I could rationalize all day long why I didn't need to do that. I was managing nursing homes. Isn't that a good enough profession, God? I'm looking after widows. Isn't that good? He said, it's a wonderful profession, but not for you. 17 years of choosing to tell God no. And when I finally responded, I had family members who thought I had lost my mind because I was the district manager for a nursing home chain. I had a nice job. I had a pretty future ahead of me. I was making good money, and I'm giving all of that up to be an itinerant Methodist preacher? What are you thinking? And my answer was, for the first time in a long time, I'm thinking along the same lines that God is thinking. And no, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. But with God beside me, it will happen. It will unfold the way he wants it to unfold. So 20-some-odd years later, here I am in ministry. That's the kind of choice that Jesus was talking about these people having to make. They might have to anger their families to leave behind a faith tradition that's thousands of years old and move into a new expression of that faith. They might face governmental Issues. They might face a government that tells them they can't be Christians. They might lose their livelihoods. They might even lose their lives. And yet Jesus said, I'm here because everyone has to make a choice. Do you follow me or not? So as I'm reading this passage of Scripture, I'm thinking, what did the disciples have that was so compelling that people would want to make that choice, that people would want to come and be a part of this new way that Jesus and his disciples were sharing. What did the disciples have to offer that would make people want to take that kind of risk? And the truth of the matter is they really didn't have anything but their story. Their story of what Jesus meant to them. They had their story of what it meant to walk with Jesus, to talk with Jesus, to hear him teach them how to live their lives, to have him transform them from the inside out. That's all they had. 
Now, how do you think they told that story? Do you think they told it with sadness? Do you think they told it with despair? No. My very favorite quote, and I'm sure you will hear this again from me, comes from Oliver Wendell Holmes, the, the renowned Supreme Court Justice. He was once asked why he chose the legal profession. And his answer was, and I paraphrase, I considered the ministry, but every preacher I encountered looked and acted so much like an undertaker, I just couldn't go there. Do you think that the disciples shared their stories of Jesus looking and sounding like an undertaker? No, they shared their stories of Jesus with passion and excitement and joy. They came alongside people who were living in difficult times and said, Jesus is not going to make it easy, but he will walk with you through this. Let me explain to you. Let me share with you. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for my life. And because they lived what they believed and because they spoke with such excitement and such joy, people listened and people were willing to take a risk and draw closer and closer to Jesus and become committed followers to this new way. So what does that mean for us today? I mean, that was 2,000 years ago. What does that say to us today? People aren't any different. People are much the same today as they were 2,000 years ago. People are going through hard times, especially right now. There are things happening that we have no clue what to do to try to make it right for people. There are people who haven't worked in months. How are they going to put food in the table? There are other people who are just completely convinced that they've got all the answers and it's okay and they're pretty good and they're going to be fine. People are the same now as they were 2,000 years ago. And we have the same thing to offer that the disciples had 2,000 years ago. We have a story to tell about what it means to walk with Jesus, what it means to have him walk with us, how it changes us from the inside out. There's a song in one of our hymnals, The Faith We Sing, and you're going to hear these very talented musicians singing in just a minute. The song says, the Spirit sends us forth to serve. We go in Jesus' name to bring glad tidings to the poor, God's favor to proclaim. We go to comfort those who mourn. We go to be the hands of Christ, and we go to scatter joy like seed. I love that phrase. We go to scatter joy like seed. Now, please understand when I say scatter joy, I'm not talking about a Pollyanna-ish attitude. I'm not talking about wearing rose-colored glasses. I'm talking about people who realistically understand that sometimes life is really, really good and sometimes life is really not good. But in all of that life, Jesus goes with us. And because of that, we can have a joy in our hearts that is not movable. It can't be taken away from us. It can't be shaken. And when we live and we demonstrate that joy and we scatter joy like seed being scattered across the ground, people are going to want to know who we know and what we know about him.
and they're going to want us to share, and they're going to welcome us in and say, come and tell me how you can live so joyfully, so calmly, so peacefully in the middle of so much. And then we get to do exactly what the disciples did 2,000 years ago. We get to tell our story. Ladies and gentlemen, I want that to be our challenge for the coming year. I want us to accept the challenge to scatter, to scatter the joy of knowing Jesus Christ like seed all across Macon. I want people to look at you and say, look, there goes somebody from Mulberry Street, and I know it because their face is joyful and their appearance is joyful, and they've got a story to tell about Jesus. If we will do that, people will listen. People will pay attention, and people will want to know the Jesus that we know. Let's spend the next year living joyfully, scattering joyfully, encouraging people to welcome us in so that we have a countless number of opportunities to say to them, let me introduce you to the Jesus I know. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.